Today on episode number 417 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Terry Green is back, this time to talk about liberated learners. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Terry Green is a senior e-learning designer at Trent University. He's host of two podcasts, Getting Air, the Open Pedagogy Podcast, and Check the OL, Liner Notes for Groundbreaking Online Learning, co-hosted by Anne Marie Scott. He holds a bachelor's in elementary education from the University of Alberta and a master's in science in instructional design and technology from the University of North Dakota. He's interested in both the cutting and trailing edges of uses for technology in education, especially those that increase the human element in technology-enabled learning. Hint, hint, those are probably the more open ones. Terry Green, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be back. I'm excited to have you here. And since we last spoke, you have been embarking on quite a monumental project. Would you tell us a little bit of a background of what Liberated Learners is, and then we'll go back and revisit how it came to be? For sure. It's an open educational resource that anyone can use. It's called the Liberated Learner, and we put the, the tagline as how to learn with style, not as in we think learning styles are real, but that you can learn with style. And that if you take these four modules, it's kind of like preparation, like off-season training for, for learning in whatever program you're heading into. So you've told us a little bit about what it is and, and talked about students being involved. Talk about then the origins of it. How How is there a, a found need for this? And then how did you go about tackling it? So the the origin story, sorry if it takes too long here. eCampus Ontario is an organization, nonprofit, government organization that serves all of Ontario's post-secondary institutions and Indigenous institutions. And so there's... They get this funding to create things to help digital learning happen. And maybe five years ago now, had created and started offering a thing called Ontario Extend, the Empowered Educator Framework. And I was seconded there, and I I was the, the program manager for that. I was not so much involved in the creation of the modules, but the implementation and, and getting them out there. And they were really successful in really like being transformational experience for for not huge numbers of educators in Ontario, but really huge impact on the ones that really took it up. And I I always thought it was because of the the it's a great framework, yes, and the activities come with so much heart and authenticity. And it's because as this organization that could like bring in people to to do work here and there, like they were able to find the, the best people to create 
these specific modules and the modules were just to run through really quickly. The framework is to be a teacher for learning, obviously, and a technologist, a collaborator, an experimenter, a scholar, and a curator. So they had this fabulous librarian, Peg French, who did curator. Julia Forsyth did two of them, actually, the teacher for learning and the experimenter module. And I'm going to forget who did the other ones. David Porter did the scholar one. Like, they just did, you know, they they were the right people to be creating these activities. And they created these fantastic, authentic activities that became this transformational experience with heart. And so while I was there, the senior director at the time, Lena Patterson, and honestly, just if I, I, I don't know if you're, you like taking names of potential future guests, anybody I've just named would be just a fantastic guest. I am future. taking notes and not just yeah. for the show notes. <laughs> My Julie ears Forsyth, are. David Porter, yeah. Mm. Um, Lena. Anyway, so Lena Patterson at the time said, well, we sh- this should be a thing also for learners. There should be this, but for learners. And we're like, yeah. And at the time I'd done the open faculty patchbook and I was starting the open learner patchbook, like a similar idea of of something that was originally designed for educators. Oh, hey, let's make the learner version too. And so now we can, sorry, fast forward a bit. I'm taking a long time here. To late 2020, months into the pandemic, eCampus Ontario gets a, a large amount of funding to make virtual learning strategy projects. And they said, put out your your proposals. And uh, that, that immediately, I'm no, no longer at eCampus Ontario. Now I'm at Trent University. But you know, I'm like, this is this is the chance to do Ontario Extend, but for learners this time. And so we wrote a proposal. We knew they always loved inter-institutional collaborations um, when you put in these proposals, as it makes perfect sense. So we gathered people from from seven different institutions and people that I knew would have that proper amount of trust in students that we could do co-design properly with students and the trust would be there. So it was, um, it's Trent University, Brock University, University of Windsor, Seneca College, Cambrian College, McMaster University, and Nipissing University. And, but the, the people in there, again, you'll hear names that would be fabulous guests, Dave Cormier, Julia Forsyth, Jenny Heyman, Pat Mayer, Heather Carroll, like, and Joanne Kehoe. So all people who, like me, value open, sharing, collaborating, and trust in students. And so we then were able to get the funding. And so that was exciting to actually have a budget to do something like this for once and um, had a year to work together with students to co-design Ontario Extend. But for learners this time, it became Liberated Learners. And it does say on the page, Ontario Extend for students. I, I just, anybody listening... I want you to know for sure, just in case you're worried, it's not just for people from Ontario, please. (laughs) Ontario, California, there's a town there, right? Called Ontario. (laughs) Anyway, it's an open resource. It's just funded through eCampus Ontario, and it's a follow-up to Ontario Extend. That's why that's there. But please, please feel free, anyone, anywhere to use it. So I've been thinking about this for a while now. There's this there's this expression that says you're going down a rabbit trail. And I wish yeah. that because rabbit trails tend to have a negative connotation in my mind in that they were a bad thing that they go. And I want there to be a positive way of framing the experience because I went down that I did not. 
you know, I, you've done so many amazing things, Terry. You've collaborated with such incredible people that anytime you even just dip your toe in, you're just immersed in all these other things that you weren't anticipating when, when I went there. And so I got to do that a little bit yesterday as I was preparing to have this conversation with you and was was not as familiar with some of these entities and how they fit mm-hmm. together and was revisiting in other cases. And boy, I mean, that you were talking about some of the digital learning projects and there I mean there's just some incredible things that have both happened in the past and then are I think there are still some emerging correct yeah yeah that's so. it was really really fun but can you think of something that's a rabbit trail but like does rabbit trail also have a bad connotation to you well I think it can be like I guess yeah it does have a bad connotation because you're maybe going hyper focused into something but yeah. it's also it means you're super engaged and you're like enthralled and like hey let's follow this yeah I think it's, it's good and bad I guess Let's and, call it good today. And where is this going to go? So the four places that we might go down rabbit trails in a good way, whatever this positive thing is. And anyone listening who can think of a positive thing, I would love to hear from you. And I'm sure Terry would too. <laughs> so uh, we've got four main modules. There's the learner, the navigator, mm-hmm. the collaborator, and the technologist. And of course, there's echoes from the initial project yeah. that you talked a little bit about. Tell us about if we were to go down our serendipitous route to check out some of the things in the learner. What are some of the highlights of what we might uncover there? So just before, I just want to say that these specific modules were, like I mentioned, all those those institutions involved, they were developed separately, like together, alongside each other by these institutional partnerships. So Trent and McMaster did Collaborator. Brock and Seneca did Technologist. And Nipissing and Cambrian did Navigator. But the learner module was was... Windsor itself. They were all set up with all these great co-op students already working and Dave Cormier leading them. And it was like, well, he's been thinking about how learning really happens for so long. And he, like, he was the perfect person to be like, not a foil, but like every meeting be like, what are we even doing here? Do we want to like get the real, real stuff? Or do we want to just like, even his students said like, you know, when we meet Terry, does he want to hear what we think? he wants to hear or does he want to hear the truth? And Dave, you know, is straightforward and yes, tell him the real stuff. Like we want the real stuff that students would actually engage with. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And so what they came up with instead of what you might think is in the learner module are talking about things in there are like the game of school, like how to game, like, am I choosing for, to, to pursue motive? Like, am I motivated with marks? Am I motivated to actually learn? Am I motivated to just get through this? You pick your battles and that's your choice. And this is where you get your motivation. And this is how you get engaged. And this is how you get through struggles. Like the real stuff, we hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could try to pretend that it is not so many times a game, but it is in yeah. fact, all, yeah. I mean, quite literally. And it's a different game in every, with every, mm-hmm. every course, every instructor, every this, every that. Yeah, I found that to be so helpful with students when they are experiencing some kinds of challenges and, and maybe there is some still glimmer within them that they want to take school for learning sake, but they're just not in a season of their life where they can. I actually yeah. have encouraged, um, even especially in recent years, encouraged them to be, I, I know that you really want to experience this in deep and enriching ways. Can we back away from that and look at it like it was truly a transactional thing, which is not what either of us really wants this to be, but let me help you find a way. Sometimes it's got to be, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes they haven't really thought about looking at it that way either. I mean, something as seemingly evident as 
well, if you were missing a bunch of assignments, how about looking at the one with the most points? Yeah. <laughs> Instead yeah. of going chronologically, I mean, unless they rely on each other, those kinds of things. But yeah, mm-hmm. how fascinating. And then tell us a little bit about the Navigator. I do, uh, before you share that with you, want to mention that we have been doing some work at my university around what's called Community Cultural Wealth which mm-hmm. is a, a framework by a researcher. Uh, it was coined by um, Yoso. And this idea of being able to navigate is something that has shown up in our student feedback as something that they struggle with the most at our university. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about what the advice is given and what we might uncover if we go to check out the Navigator Macho. Yeah, it hopefully is exactly what we're describing like every institution you're in is going to have different pathways to services and, and supports and managing your your life there while you're there. So there's um, there's sections on finding the supports, managing your workload and your timelines and, and accessing all kinds of things like like we, we had to keep it succinct-ish. So like there could be more and there could be more and there could be more. And I think we cut a couple sections out because it was the navigator module when we compare to the original extend is kind of like doing triple duty being that the one that kind of collects the other ones because uh, this is only four modules this time instead of six. But yeah, they did a, a fantastic job. There's some really like, I'm getting into the weeds here a bit, but like, and this was Sarah Wendorf at Cambrian was the kind of like the lead instructional designer on it and Heather Carroll at Nipissing, um, but, and the students, the work they did, but just like magnificent use of the documentation tool from H5P, which sounds like the most boring thing on earth, but it's so cool. And they did it so perfectly. Like, I guess I'm trying to point out that this collaboration like brought out, I think the best in so many people by just the way we were working together. So it was, I think it's just great. I, I got lost there, but I just want to say, I think it's really great. Well, and I'm now you got lost there and I want to keep you there for just a little minute. So for listeners who may not be familiar with H5P, you can think of it as a, as a set of tools to allow you to build content for the web and they're interactive tools. Yeah. And I know just enough to be dangerous with it, Terry. I've, I've, I know I've accessed some content that is H5P. It's going to let me, you know, drag and drop and all that. But I'm, I don't know what the documentation tool from H5P is and what was their unique use of it. So I'm kind of curious of what, what was it that surprised you or delighted you about their particular use of that um, documentation tool? So like a, this, a very simple use of H5P is that, you know, in your if you have your course page in your LMS and you have a bunch of content, they're reading, 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 you can create a little piece of uh, an H5P thing, which just gives you a little bit of code. You just have to copy it. You don't know how to make it. That that would pop a, an interactive multiple choice question mm. right there, rather than, oh, I have to open a quiz and 18 clicks later. And then you get your answer, you get your feedback. It doesn't, unless your institution has paid for it, it doesn't give any marks to a grade book or anything, but it does make it interactive. And this whole project is a press book, which is an open web page ebook kind of thing. But throughout, there's all kinds of use of H5P to make something that might be kind of boring text, read, 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 read into an interactive thing. And the documentation tool simply, you know, you read through something and you have some instructions on how to, you know, create your own little set of goals or your schedule, a workload idea, 
just boxes, you know, fill out your answer to this, fill out your answer to this, fill out your answer to this, press export, and it turns it all into a, a schedule or a timeline or a set of goals that you download as a Word document and you keep. And then you could submit it to a Dropbox if it's uh, an assignment for your course or it's just something to keep it. It becomes a real authentic thing you've produced right there in the midst of the ebook. It's really cool. Oh, this! You, I'm so glad that we went down this particular rabbit trail. So rabbit thank trail. you for thank you for sharing that. I I think so often about and from the time that I spent engaging in the various modules, it really does feel like we're having a conversation. I felt very present and and engaged. And part of that is that it's not like I think you talked about earlier when you were describing this project. You mentioned the word heart. Because mm -hmm. I think there are ways where w if we don't have a heart as an instructional designer to think about the other person on the other side of this, it can really seem very rote and transactional. And like the, you don't have that same feeling of presence that I really, really does come across in every aspect of the project that I've looked at so far. So now it's really fun. It's kind of also reminding me to Terry of just, you can have a tool that can do things, but then like somebody has a heart and a mind and and then what they're able to create from the it. The use be, of it, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. All right, let's do the next one here. How about the collaborator? So the collaborator was, uh, I was personally the project lead, but also on the collaborator team because Trent and McMaster worked on this one. And in the original, there's a collaborator module from the original Extend. It was about a lot of use of Twitter, but about developing your professional learning network. And we wanted networking to be a part of this too, but we were taking a few steps back. We took the opportunity to just help you get ready to collaborate, like get in the right headspace for it. Cause a lot of people hate group work. I did too, but when it's on, it's, it's so fantastic. Like this whole project was a great collaboration. So if you are ready and then prepared to collaborate, you are also going to be prepared to self-advocate and be an ally. And, you know, if you can advocate for yourself and others, you can collaborate and network and build connections. So we kind of walked people through it that way. And you do pretty interesting activities, I think, really authentic ones, like build a, an identity tree, an empathy map. You think about your positionality. And I think in the end, you you work on a bit of a a way to approach finding yourself a mentor and being a mentor as well. So just a lot of steps towards being someone who works well with others, which is scary, but also so rewarding in the end. I have noticed in terms of different kinds of collaborative projects that I have worked on, whether whether that's through a class type of a structure or context or with colleagues, there's sort of, a, I don't know if it's a spectrum, that may not be the right analogy for me to be using in my mind, but there's sort of the everything from the, we have to print it out on paper, you know, to write, to write down our feedback kind of thing to now we're emailing each other versions, but then you don't know which version it is. And yeah. then somebody yeah. discovers track changes and they think that's going to be like landing you in a good place. And I, I find so many times just this tension to go, we don't need the track changes. I trust <laughs> you just make the change. I don't need to go back. Cause it, it, I think it's sort of the, 
a mindset of when you're able to either suppress or perhaps even um, <laughs> adjust your your sense of ego where we are writing together, we are collaborating, then it doesn't have to be that I own this thing. Because that's oftentimes yeah. in academic spaces where it's like, oh, I'm, I was afraid I might offend you. So I just wanted to see if you were okay with this. And I just think, especially at different phases of a project, like it doesn't really matter if I'm okay. You know, we could play and we could experiment yeah. with this, but there's kind of that rigidity. That's how I experience it sometimes of like track changes ends up being more of a, uh, restrained thing during a process that doesn't need restraint at that particular moment. Yes, later in an editing process, sure, but early on, I think sometimes we're just so tied to that is their words, their stuff versus our words, right. our stuff. Did you encounter that at all in terms of your collaboration, either on this project or just do you have any thoughts around around what I just mentioned about collaboration? Yeah, I think it's it's phases, right? Like we we let the module teams do their thing. And then was given a final, like it was, yeah, it has, I think it was passing it along to someone with less, their hooks into it less to do a review and others letting go. Okay. Yeah. We gave you it and we'll, the evaluator will cut if they want to. And, you know, we're just in it for a, a great final product. I think that was kind of the the feeling around the, the campfire kind of thing. So it was a bit of an organic, like I didn't properly project manage this thing using any kind of proper <laughs> tool, but, you know, leading by example and, and just always co cooperate, like not cooperating, but communicating. But we were using Google Docs before moving to Pressbooks. So it was less worrying about track changes kind of thing and more just get in there and type your spot and, and move things around. And But yeah, there was, I think, less worry about stepping over each other's toes than, than maybe um, what you were alluding to, I think. We recently had some student interns working on some data analysis for us, and they instantly gravitated toward Google Sheets, which I, I, I do a lot in Google Docs, but hadn't really played with Google Sheets hardly at all. And they created mm -hmm. these amazing things, but it was one of those things where just for our purposes, we kind of needed to get us back into Excel, which good news, by the way, it exported perfectly. So we were nice. able to pick right up. But I do think there's just that flavor of the instantaneousness that can come around some of these Google platforms. Certainly there are downsides, but, but I mean, it just <laughs> in terms of like, I can tell when somebody's there, whether they're logged in or whether it's an anonymous hedgehog or something like yeah. that, um, that really can create some of the elements that we're sort of talking about here that that what is emerging in this moment that some of the other tools just can't do. Well, speaking of the technology tools, tell us a little bit then about the technologist and what emerges for us there. So this was Seneca College and Brock University. They were great because they were a little more focused than the others, I think. And I, I definitely need to jump back at some point to tell you about the the Wicked Problems stories and how that all came and fed everything. But they really focused on, we're hiring our student co-designers in the summer. This was last summer. And they work just in the summer. So they're going to get it done. <laughs> and they did. So they were like the the trailblazers of making a module and what it would look like in the Google Docs. And then they were gone. But it gave me the opportunity to be like, okay, give me those and I will build this one out in Pressbooks to have a prototype for others to look at. So 
they nailed it down fairly quickly that don't want to be so like focusing on any sort of specific tools or anything. We just want you to be prepared to respond to things in a little with a little more flair technologically. And, you know, as an instructor, you hear about universal design for learning and you'd love to give students the option to respond with multiple ways of, of, of showing their, their work. But then as an instructor, you're probably like, well, I have no idea how to help them create videos or podcasts or other types of things, infographics. I'd love for them to be able to do it, but I just can't help because <laughs> I can't right now. So this module prepares students with a basic level of technological fluency, but then also how to podcast, how to do some graphic design, how to, how to create videos. So now a student having done this maybe before they come into a course can be like, oh, hey, I have this option this time to answer, not do an essay for once. I'm going to do a, a video and I have the chops now and I can go back and, and revisit these things. So I think it's that off-season training for learning kind of idea. Again, like I'm a little bit more ready to do this. And um, that's, that was the, the hope behind the, the technology module, mm. technologist. I want to pick up on the theme when you talked about prototyping for others to look at and just encourage that whether or not we are talking about students or anyone else, how helpful that can be in a project. I think sometimes we might assume that blank slates are the ideal when working with a project like this, but especially across different people, let alone across different institutions, having a model, something that we can look at as a prototype, both to then say, nope, let's tweak this a little bit. Let's get, you know, let's get it into this thing and, and start to bend it a little bit, but then to be able to have it where other people can look to that so that there's some sort of more unifying voice, I think can be so terribly ha uh, helpful. So have, I've never worked on anything quite as grand as what you're describing here, but some of the smaller projects I've been able to work at, especially collaborating with students and, and getting them the, the sense of group work and all of that, building up some good skills and norms and all of that, having those prototypes can be incredibly helpful. That was something when we wrote in a series of open textbooks across the years with some doctoral students having the sample chapter, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, in, I think, every case, Terry, it wasn't the first chapter of the book. So don't be thinking yeah. in a linear way, but like, oh, this one back here, I've got some experts. And in your case, you had some limiting factors as far as when these particular writers and creators were available. Yeah. So let's pick that one to be the first one, even though it doesn't show up first in the particular project. So, But tell us about the wicked problem stories. I want to hear more about that then. So right from the get-go, we're like, okay, we're these open, collaborative salaried type people, but we want this to be for learners, by learners. So right from the proposal and on down is this is co-designed with students. And, uh, you know, oh, we have this funding, we want to get money into student pockets to do this work with us. And so student co-designers were hired at all institutions. And we started to talk about how are we going to do this? Where are we going to like, well, how are we going to pick what's in it? This, that, the other. And the, the co-op students at Windsor the ones that went to Dave, like, hey, can we tell this Terry guy the truth or just what he wants to hear? And like, I wish Dave said what I want to hear because I want to hear what I want to hear. But <laughs> they gave me the truth and uh, they came up with the idea of, you know, we need to know the real stories of the real problems students are really facing and build the content from there. How about we ask them to tell us the stories of the wicked, of a wicked problem that they've faced 
and whether or not they solved it or not, ideas for how to work around it. And that those stories can feed the content. So last June, yeah, almost a year ago, we ran a design sprint saying, you come, we'll pay you an honorarium to come and spend every lunchtime with us for a week. And you got to tell us your story of a wicked problem you faced and how you got around it. And we'll take those stories and use them to make this resource. So those, all these modules just have names. They have no specific content in them yet. And I think a powerful thing of this design sprint was kind of how we ran it as in, yeah, I did a overview at the start saying, yeah, I'm senior e-learning designer. I'm a, you know, a formal type person here. Here's what we're doing. Here's where the funding's coming from. Here's what we're asking of you. Good luck. And then got out of the way. And then those student co-designers. So it was Dana Jamaladeen, Ace Reynolds from Trent, Krisha Edmin from Seneca, and Rana Kalani from Windsor. These four each went to a breakout room and led like, hey, I'm the technologist room. Come tell me your stories about technology. Hey, I'm the learner room. Come tell. But it was none of us older salary types in these rooms to, you know, make them think we want to just hear what they think we want to hear kind of thing. So they would tell fellow students the, the true stories much more than what the, what they think. And, and that was where the authentic stuff came from. So they had the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday lunch times to, to come and practice telling their stories. But then they had a week or two to, to write them down and get them into us. And then each of the institutions had a look. There was 120 stories. Uh, we collected them all onto a website, the Wicked Problems website, using an Alan Levine splot, which I think he's talked to you about recently. So they're all there on this separate site, all the stories, but they feed all the content of the learner module, the technologist module, the collaborator module, and each module itself kind of kicks off with uh, a couple things, but there's always a, a Wicked Problems story that kind of exemplifies some of the things you're about to get into. So, you know, by reading through them all, the co the student co-designers found like the, the key ones and the supporting ones and, and drew out, we need to talk about positionality. We need to talk about allyship. We need to talk about time management. And so that's where everything came from, the real wicked problems and not, you know, lists of 10 things of how to do group work that we might've thought we should have included in there. And I know that the phrase wicked problems can take on a lot of different slices that in terms of I know that there's a whole body of research around wicked problems in the world or, or within countries or economies, that kind of thing. Did mm -hmm. you have a shared definition for what constitutes a wicked enough problem to have it be a wicked problem? Did you have to define the term or was it just more whatever comes to mind? Yeah, whatever came to mind. And, and the the idea of, of the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday get-togethers for that one-week design sprint was to hear each other's stories. And I think that helped others like spark, oh, yeah, oh, I have something like that. Or no, this just gave me the idea. Like it was practicing telling it, but also listening to others and honing it in. Some, like all the stories came in through this form where we asked four questions and some of them were pretty like hoping they could just write three words down and and slip through and we pay them. So like that was just a couple, but definitely a wide range of of 
wickedness, uh, let alone like verbosity, verboseness, whatever the actual word should be there. So varying quality of responses, but like absolutely a wonderful collection of, of stories. Do you remember what the four questions were by chance or, or, or the theme that they took on? Just the gist of it was like, describe your wicked problem, tell the story, and then tell us how you solved it slash tried to solve it slash advice for working around this kind of problem. Final thoughts, like Jerry Springer's last thoughts. And then, um, you know, just help us to categorize this by telling us which module you think it fits best in or however you would hashtag it if you were to be sharing this kind of thing. The reason I ask, I have two things that are coming to my mind right now. One is that recently at our institution, they've been, they, they kind of changed our governance a little bit. And so there's some faculty reps that work with our board of trustees and and cabinet members, et cetera. And so they had come up with this list and they used, they were referring to the set of professional development funds and saying that it wasn't efficient. So I ended up after some time, I didn't want to seem like I was being defensive, but I literally was like, I can't think of a way it could be more efficient. Like literally we were, we had just, we had been, cause I, cause I loved sort of geeking out with the technology. We had used this whole thing. We went from being paper-based where they used to have to go around to get their chair signature to using a whole workflow inside of Microsoft Teams and they fill out a form and it does all these other, I mean, like literally like we were turning these things around in record breaking speed. So it was like, I could try to get five minutes faster, you know, but I just don't think that's really what you meant. And so I think if we had had these kinds of questions around, because sometimes you see a problem and you go, oh, I could fix that easy without having some more of that depth of, of the the background, it reminds me a little bit of, I know in software they do this a lot, and one of the applications I'm having tons of fun with, and they just keep getting better, is this Agenda app. It's only on uh, Mac, by the way. Sorry, friends. I got to <laughs> stop. I've been doing that on recent episodes. But anyway, but if you ever report to their uh, a ticket in their help desk, it'll be like, this is what happened. But then it'll say, this is what I expected to have happen. And I forgot what the other things are, but literally you fill that out. They must, I mean, I wish every help desk did this right. because the difference between this is what happened and this is what I expected to happen is, is pretty, pretty, key, yeah. pretty key and pretty monumental. So, well, I am going to transition us now into recommendations, but that's a little bit because I want to first recommend the Liberated Learners Open Textbook that people go in and go down some of these tremendously wonderful rabbit trails that you can only imagine, I think, from listening to today's conversation. So I'm going to recommend that first off. And closely related, I don't believe I have recommended before Pressbooks as a platform. Mm -hmm. But as you were describing all of these things, and as I was getting to play in preparing for today's episode, it really does kind of bend your mind in terms of what's possible in a book when it becomes digital and some of the mm -hmm. ways that Terry and I are talking about. So Pressbooks is pretty amazing. I've been using it for years and years now. So if you just wanted to do something as simple as self-publish your book of poetry or whatever and, you know, have that for sale and as an ebook and even as a printed book, by the way, Pressbooks really has you covered there, integrating with different services that would, mm -hmm. you know, print it for you, all these kinds of things. But it also can have these kinds of interactive elements. It can have the HP5 modules or, or, or assets that Terry was talking about earlier. I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's also 
really easy to use. So mm-hmm. if you've ever built any kind of web content, I mean, it's it's not hard. And and if it if any parts where it is at all unfamiliar to you, they have amazing documentation that every time I've ever gotten myself stuck, I've been able to get unstuck without even having to contact someone there. So it's wonderful. And so my last recommendation, it has nothing to do with liberated learners, although maybe I maybe it does, Terry, <laughs> or um, with Pressbooks, and it is to make something with Lego. So today oh, nice. we've been talking a lot about problems and design sprints and all of these things. And I had a big problem in my life, which is that our kids had given me those little Lego mini figs, those little figures of people. And I actually had made one at myself at a podcasting conference that is supposed to be me. I picked out the head and the hair and the body and I have a little podcasting microphone. And they sat always, I wanted to see them every day at my desk and they sat on this little ledge so they were within my line of sight every time I'm working at my computer, and it just reminded me of my kids and all of that. Well, yeah. they got knocked over super, super easy. And so over this past weekend, I completely went very hyper-focused on cord management at my desk. And so I had all the <laughs> – I labeled all the cords, and I had everything, and now it's going to be so much easier to dust and all those good things, which we should do, you know, once a year, whether we need it or not, in our offices. But I ended up with, still with these these little Lego minifix, which just kind of weren't there. And so we went – we ended up going as a family to a park, and I took a big box of just random Lego pieces, and I ended up building a structure that fits right over the lip of my desk and then it holds the three Lego minifigs that I wanted to have a holder but it also is now a platform for this little light switch an LED dimmer light switch thing that I had and it brought me so much delight because it was just getting to (laughs) tap into my inner child and do that at a park outside which was super super fun and then now literally every single time I'm at my desk I've got the perfect little holder for my switch I will by the way I'll put a picture of this of this particular creation in with the recommendation so you can see it and maybe get a little bit of inspiration. And if anybody gets inspired to build something with Lego that's kind of has a practical feel to it, or, or even if it's impractical, I'd love to see pictures of your Lego creations if anybody does something or has done something in the past. That would be super fun to see. So it was great. Those are my three recommendations. And now I'm going to pass it over to you for yours, Terry. Now I want to go build some Lego right now. It was really fun. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> Okay, I, it's like a two-part. I, I want to make sure to recommend another part of the Liberated Learner that we didn't touch on. It's like the icing on the cake was that as we were kind of in the thick of things, saying like we're getting funding from Ontario government to make something for Ontario post-secondary students, but we were allowed to make it an open resource, which is absolutely fantastic. We're like, and this is supposed to be for Ontario learners, by Ontario learners, and they're learning how to learn. And there's this trend out there for chill beats to study to. Like if you look up lo-fi hip hop radio, there's, uh, you know, just like no lyrics music to listen to while you study. And so we thought, well, let's, let's have some of those for ourselves. So we contacted at Seneca College, one of the partner institutions, had these independent music production program, uh, songwriting and production. And I contacted the coordinator and said, do you think any of your students would be interested in an honorarium to make some chill beats to study to? You know, the very Ontario students, some of them that would were aiming to help creating like a soundscape for a course. And 
bunch of students were interested. We got eight tracks. So there's a Liberated Learners Beats to Study to playlist that you can listen to on SoundCloud or, or that we made videos for them, just kind of like in homage to that lo-fi hip-hop girl radio station. So I just always, and they came back with such good beats. I listened to them myself over and over as I did much of the editing of the press book itself to finish it off. And they're great. Uh, they're really great. So I recommend please checking those out. And then this also made me think of my real recommendation of something that I have nothing to do with. So it's the screening surveillance film series, specifically the most, the most recent one called Tress Dancing. It's a film, a short film. It's supposed to be uh, near future fiction, but it doesn't feel so much like fiction because it hits close to home and it's to do with, you know, high surveillance types of technology in education. And it's a 20-minute fantastic film. And if you're into that, there are three older ones that are also fantastic. So it's it's a project by Sava Saheli Singh and... The films are fantastic, but also it just reminded me a bit of things to do with the Liberated Learner because she went and found student actors and dancers and musicians and local, like the local stuff, the stuff right here. Let's make it for ourselves that I thought kind of fit like uh, is lateral to the the, the co-design of, of the Liberated Learner. And so please go check out Tress Dancing because uh, not enough people have seen it so many people should see it. It's only 20 minutes. You need to watch it. I have seen one or two of her former films, but I need to revisit them because they're that good that, it, that, I mean, as soon as you said her name, I thought, oh gosh, I, I need to go back and look, but I've not even heard of this one. So I'm so yeah, glad yeah. Oh, we get to- It's only a couple months old. Okay. It's called Tress Dancing. And um, I do know Sava loves talking to classes about it. So anyone interested- and checking it out and maybe thinking of, you know, screening it in your courses or anything, she would be, I'm sure, interested in coming and talking to your class too. Oh, wonderful. Well, Terry Green, it is so great to be able to have this conversation with you. I feel like you and I are in conversation pretty regularly, but it's not enough on this show. So thank you so much for coming back for today's episode and uh, for the future ones as well, because I'm I'm just glad that we're connected and able to be able to learn from one another so often. I'm just grateful for your friendship and for your contributions to open learning. Oh, it's an honor and a privilege to, to come on the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks once again to Terry Green for being a guest on today's episode. Today's episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stahoviak, and was edited by the ever-talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by Sierra Smith, a teacher who just happens to still have enough time to engage in the side gig for Innovate Learning. These podcast episodes are just one teaching in higher ed resource. If you'd like to receive the weekly email update, subscribe at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll get the show notes for the past episode, a little preview for the future upcoming episode, along with lots of other resources and recommendations. Thanks for listening to Teaching in Higher Ed, and I'll see you next time.